Welcome to Next in Nonprofits. I'm Steve Boland, and I am very pleased to be joined today by Martin Leifeld, author and consultant and coach uh, in the fundraising world. Martin, thanks so much for taking the time. Steve, it's my pleasure. I appreciate the opportunity. Um, I was excited to be introduced to you to learn a little bit more about your work, about your um, your, your book on Five Minutes for Fundraising, a few other things. Um, but could you begin by just kind of uh, laying out a little bit of the landscape of the work that you do and how you help charities? Sure. So, uh, Steve, for the last year and a half or, or, or so, I kind of my handle is author, coach, consultant, and speaker. And I've been dividing my time more or less between those. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, I have a book, recent book called Five Minutes for Fundraising. And it's called Five Minutes for Fundraising because each chapter is probably about five minutes to read. And what's great about that book is not only is it focused, I think, on, on the best of what f fundraising is all about. It's very practical. And uh, it's not just, you know, what Martin Liefeld thinks about things, but I recruited 26 other collaborators to comment on the various uh, uh, chapters, uh, oftentimes enriching them with their insights and offering uh, illustrations, stories to kind of put, you know, flesh on the bones of a particular chapter uh, theme that we're discussing. So, you know, I'm very excited about the book, gotten, you know, great reviews on it, and I encourage folks to look at it. So, you know, <clears throat> communicating is a part of what I'm trying to do. Uh, for those who are interested, they can go to martinleifel.com. And there, uh, there's a number of resources, including, Steve, almost 125 videos now, ranging from a minute to, you know, 45-minute full presentations, uh, but focusing on largely fundraising and, and leadership, certainly. Uh, given this particular point in time uh, where we are in uh, America, in the world today with the virus and so on, I, I've been doing a lot of podcasts and uh, what's great about podcasts, of course, Steve, is uh, we can do them from our homes. We don't have to get on a plane right. to go and speak, which, you know, is nearly impossible to do. And, of course, no one's having events anyway other than virtual ones. So podcasts are a great way for me to to try and, you know, share what I'm doing. And, and, and I post like, you know, most of other people. I have a large following on LinkedIn and so on. But all of this comes out of Steve. Um, uh, 40 plus years of leadership roles, uh, 25 years at several universities, uh, 25 years in the fundraising uh, with a fundraising focus, although it didn't exactly coincide with those university gigs, and uh, <clears throat> a desire to give back to the profession that's been so good to me. So I, I think that sets a stage for you know our initial conversation, talking a little bit about what works, what you kind of coach people through, some topics that you've been speaking on about you know relationship building and fundraising, and those are things that have been covered um, in in other places and times. But I wanted to ask for some of your time at this particular moment because we're re recording this kind of at um, an interesting point in the COVID nineteen. Uh, story, which, you know, we don't know how this is all going to unfold by the end of it. Um, but it's, it's short, sort of shaken up the world of uh, development with individuals and, and specifically around, I, I think, that relationship building over time. Uh, because, you know, many of us began the year with one plan, right? Here's how we're going to yeah. do our fundraising this year, right? We're going to have this kidding. event. We're going to uh, do this, uh, you know, um, campaign at this time. We're going to do uh, this year-end work at this time. Um, and 
all, much of that has been an, an apple cart overturned for sure. Um, so there's a, several things I kind of want to check with you about on thinking past this moment in time and how are we thinking about that relationship question that you bring to the fore in your work so well to um, respond to the moment and be part of the moment, but also to be thinking past the moment and not um, doing things here that may end up needing to be undone or unwound or challenged in some other way in the future. So with that very long intro, I want to start with asking you about uh, an announcement just recently uh, from the Giving Tuesday Coalition that they're going to do Giving Tuesday now on May 5th, a, a second Giving Tuesday event uh, to promote donations to uh, charities, you know, in this time. And uh, again, that was not part of most of the fundraising plans that I was working with this year to go, oh, right, May 5th, we're going to be doing this big thing. But with that announcement, how do you um, help different charities think about how do you respond to something like that kind of being dropped into a cycle unexpectedly? So, uh, you know, Steve, the question I've been asking of folks, uh, hypothetically at least, uh, not just on a professional level, uh, you know, as fundraisers and executive directors, but also on a personal level is we should be asking this question. It's opportune to ask this question, what matters most? And as I've reflected on that, both in my personal life, and my professional life, what bubbles up and perhaps for most all of us is, well, relationships. That's what matters most. So when I think about um, something like Giving Tuesday and it being moved up and so on and so forth, I think that can be a very good thing, but we should we should contextualize it. Right. We, we should contextualize it, it, it by understanding where we are as, as an organization developmentally with the donor community, with our donor community, and then make the call. Uh, I think, you know, uh, giving efforts like this can be useful, um, but we want them we want them to align with what's in the best interest of our donors, not just what is in the best interest of our organization. Now, having said that, you know, if somebody wants to dive into Giving Tuesday, they should be considering several things. First of all, what are your goals? Well, your goal among your goals, it should be first and foremost your relationships. Can this uh, tool? Can this effort help deepen your relationships? Can it become an effective educational moment for your organization to inform your donative community about what is going on and certainly what's going on most recently and how you're responding or being challenged by it? Um, can it be uh, a, an opportunity to be introduced to make new friends, to possibly um, uh, add uh, more partners, more donors to your, to your efforts? I think if you're going to need this, you have to consider, do you as an organization have a unique need or a unique opportunity? Well, if you're a food bank, it's kind of obvious, right, Steve, that right. Well, you know, you're being demanded, but, but if you're not, is there something in your mission, mission and its activities that would be a unique need? Or can you translate this, uh, this, uh, this environment, this moment in time as a way to present an opportunity for you to go forward? Uh, folks need that in order to get their attention uh, in a time like this. Uh, logistically, right? Can you, can you handle the logistics to do this well? 
the before, during, and after of messaging and communicating. There's no use launching, you know, a Giving Tuesday day and then, you know, falling down afterwards and no one hears from you again. It should be a way to stimulate relationships. And in, in, so, in so far that you're able to do that, well, what are you going to do with those relationships you've just stimulated? Yeah. If you do nothing, frankly, you've uh, insulted the donors and you've per perhaps, you know, harmed your organization. The other logistical piece on that, and just to move on from that perhaps, but is get a challenge gift. You know, will someone, uh, you know, put forward a, a challenge that for every dollar raised, they'll give a dollar for every dollar raised, they'll give $2, something that in some way separates you and uh, gives an additional uh, reason for donors to make their gift now. Yeah. You know, I want to ask you about something that you alluded to earlier about, you know, if you're a food bank, yes, this is pretty clearly you have increased need. Uh, the community will understand that increased need. Uh, there are many uh, charitable works out there that are going to be impacted by this crisis we're in. There are also some who are going to be less impacted. And I do think that how they choose to communicate and respond right now is going to be a relationship building or maybe relationship damaging question in the future. Um, I do think that there are some who um, maybe are in a position to um, take a backseat for a moment and let things that are more urgent come forward, but still communicate to those donors around, you know, that this is an affirmative choice. You're not just vanishing. You're understanding that this isn't the moment for you to be seeking fund support, but it is the moment for you to affirmatively talk about why and what your plans are in some meaningful way so that uh, that that can be thought of later. And I, I'm interested in your thoughts about, you know, those charities who aren't necessarily as harmed by what's going on with the COVID-19 crisis and how they may respond to things like a Giving Tuesday coming up in just a month. And what, what could they be thinking? Well, first of all, well stated um, uh, uh, in, in, in your comment. Uh, I think the key here um, is to all organizations is don't stop. Uh, don't stop what you're doing. And uh, not to be intimidated because we're in this uh, unusual, unpredictable, uh, almost undefinable moment in time. Um, there's been crises before, so there's going to be crises after this. And the key, I think, is communication, as you mentioned, Steve. We need to be about communicating with our internal community, our own staff, and so on. We need to be communicating with our boards and our volunteers. We need to be communicating more broadly um, to our uh, donors uh, beyond that, those uh, concentric circles and, of course, to the community at large about what we're about, what we're focused on, and uh, use it for educational purposes. Now, why is this important? Even though you may not be asking for money now, or it may be a soft ask by just reminding people that what you do matters and it's mattered to them over time, is you're continuing to position yourself for future giving, and it becomes this moment to develop your relationships. You know, one of the things <clears throat> I found in my, <clears throat> you know, <clears throat> excuse me, please, uh, decades of, of, of work is that it's all about relationships <clears throat> and it's all about building relationships. Oh, this is a perfect time to build relationships. Uh, I, if I might add, <clears throat> I would say that oftentimes in relationship building, 
we know that the way we raise uh, the greatest gifts is by interpersonal communication. So we need to be thinking about that. I know uh, of one organization uh, I'm working with who uh, they have their fundraisers establishing um, uh, video calls uh, all day long. And what they're finding is, first of all, their donors are sitting at their homes, some anxious, some fretting, some some restless because they want to be out and about, and they have time on their hands. Uh, secondly, uh, it's a way to have that visible exchange where you can see, you know, the nonverbals, the, the pursing of the lips, the smile, the relaxed posture, the tense posture. As you're having this conversation, it becomes far more dynamic and useful to you than a email, for instance. And not that we don't want to use all channels to communicate with our donors as best we can and as they want to be communicated with. But certainly, I would think, I would encourage folks to think about, well, those relationships that uh, have the greatest impact in terms of advice, counsel, philanthropy, philanthropic financial support, how can we be in front of those folks? Yeah. I think that you, you raise a lot of good points, and I want to come back to using all the channels to communicate in the right ways. So um, I do think this is a, an excellent time to talk about um, having those meetings that have maybe been long delayed with people uh, to just advise them about, here's the work that we're doing, here's maybe how the virus thing impacts us or doesn't. Um, but, you know, starting that conversation that you've probably been meaning to do, but there's always been that other thing. And maybe now there's just more time for everyone if other programs are reduced, um, maybe delayed, whatever it could be. So I think that's a great thought during this time to say that part of the plan is something you could maybe be doing more of right now even if you're choosing not to jump into a Giving Tuesday thing, or if you are jumping into Giving Tuesday and you need to use resources there, then that shifts. Those are good. I, I have had some conversations with clients I'm working with around email communication right now. And I, I only half jokingly said that if I were to run a filter on my email and and take out anything that had the word COVID-19 in it, I probably would get to inbox zero for the first time in many years, right? That right. so much is being thrown at me with this topic in it, including things from, uh, you know, major airlines who I think I have a bad relationship with. And now they're sending me, you know, this nice cozy email about how they care about me. And I'm like, you didn't care about me when you were trying to take my money before there was no relationship there. And it feels disingenuous to, to take advantage of this, to say, you know, we have the thing. So those are two elements I want to kind of ask you about to not come off as a little tone deaf here, uh, to, to jump in and try to say something about COVID-19 that's not necessarily related to your work, your mission, your impact, whatever, um, but feels like a little me tooism and bandwagony. And I don't think that that helps. So I want to ask about that, but I also, um, think, you know, do you intentionally dial it down a little, recognizing that those channels are kind of flooded right now with other things and are there better ways? So let me ask you to respond to both of those things about the the tone that you may take in, in things like email and the volume or timing of when you might do that. Well, you know, if I, I've operated, when I think about interpersonally, I've all operated off the 80-20 rule that listen 80% of the time. And that that's how you build a relationship. That's how you deepen a relationship. That's how you sign, you show respect. And that's how you also, in terms of uh, 
you know, uh, gaining the attention of someone, they want to reciprocate because you've been so generous in listening to them. So if you take that principle, then you, you apply it to emails. Well, what's your email communication going to be like? I would say, you know, you want to start with how are you doing, you know, and, and how can yeah. you, how can you shape a question like that or a set of questions that are respectful and invite a response that has to do with who they are versus what you want from them. So when you talk about being disingenuous, being, you know, this is not about being disingenuous. This is about understanding that this is all about relationships. That, as I said at the outset, is perhaps what matters most to our organizations. We have to have these relationships, whether they're clientele or certainly from the uh, donor or potential donors. So I would start there. Uh, certainly in, in the face-to-face, -face, the video, the telephone, you have to focus on them. If we're going to talk about COVID-19, how are you doing given this environment yeah. around COVID-19? How is your family? How is your business? You know, and so on. And, and start there. Now, I think it gets more challenging, of course, when you think about email. Uh, but uh, I think there's a way to shape an email. In fact, now I feel challenged to, to when we're done here, to actually create one uh, from my website. <laughs> sure. That, uh, yeah, yeah, I've just, you know, maybe I put my foot in my mouth here. <laughs> but, yeah, I think that's uh, a fundamental approach shift thing we need to be mindful of as we communicate yeah i think that that's one channel and then you know we've already talked a little bit about that more direct one-on-one -on -one. could we have a uh, at least a phone call maybe a video call with some people we've been meaning to have that deeper connection with anyway which may be around we have this emergent need i am working with an organization that does food relief in north minneapolis right now mm. and um and people are responding really well and it's it's very heartening to hear that so that that's good um but there are other organizations that don't have those kinds of immediate response missions um, but they have those things to kind of talk about. How does this impact? I have another organization that has been doing in-person events day after day after day for years. Um, and, you know, none of those are happening now. And they're responding with some virtual events to try and keep the relationships going. But they have to talk about that, I think, with their audiences. So there's those things. Um, I, I don't know about other channels though, or, or other thoughts about uh, things like social channels, especially when it comes to reacting to these external pieces of uh, Giving Tuesday. Uh, do you jump on your Facebook page, your Twitter account, your LinkedIn uh, company page and say things like, uh, we know this is happening and here's how we're choosing to participate or not to participate and to hold up some partner organizations instead that may be more uh, directly impacted, but to stay engaged somehow in the, in the right way. And I'm, I kind of want to ask you to respond in the same way about cadence and, and timing. How often do you think those messages might work on those more broadcast kinds of channels as opposed to the personal phone call video meeting level? Well, you know, I think you could you can look at Giving Tuesday many ways. One way is to say uh, it's a great opportunity because we have such a need. The other way is it can be perceived uh, very differently than that is, 
why are you having a Giving Tuesday broad bandwagon when there are so many specific organizations that are up to their ears and alligators, you know, yeah. trying to solve immediate crisis like problems. Mm -hmm. So the, I think there's risk there uh, to our, con our constituencies, our, the friends of our organizations. So um, I think we have to be careful about that, Steve. Yeah, I, I mean, that's my intuition as well. And I, um, you know, in some of the work that I've been doing more recently around government-based responses, you know, here's this uh, um, payroll protection program application. Here's this uh, emergency SBA loan. None of those things are real relationships. You know, that's a, a government form. It's a business application, you know, all that kind of thing. Sure, go do those. Absolutely. Um, but when it comes time to talk about how you're looking at replacing resources uh, that may be impacted somewhat less than critical things. I, I do think that it is, you know, what do you want those people to think about you in December when we're doing our year end requests? Uh, because I do think by December, you know, we may be back to the more traditional you know, how are people planning their giving for 2021 kinds of things. And we want that relationship to be right. We were the folks that responded this way in moments of crisis, as opposed to more scattered. And and that I think I'm a little concerned about is that if people jump on the, you know, it's giving Tuesday now or here in Minnesota, they're doing something called um, uh, stay at give at home. MN. That's the hashtag yeah. for this campaign. So statewide giving week, that encompasses Giving Tuesday. Um, and I, I feel like if you are just constantly responding to uh, this external resource, kind of throwing philanthropy out into the conversation and you trying to shape your message around it, um, it's it's a challenging time. I don't think you can ignore it either. And, and that's where I'm just asking to kind of talk that through with somebody who's got as much experience as you to say, um, we need to not ignore things that are going to be in the public conversation, but we need to respond to them in ways that are building those relationships for the future and not just this week. And that's, I think, a real challenging thing to so, do right now. Yeah, no, I I, I totally agree with uh, what your, your sentiments here. You know, one of the things I've talked a lot about over the course of my career, certainly with my fellow fundraisers, is we when we think about a relationship, we need to think of the relationship with a long view. In other words, the lifetime of the relationship. Now, a lot of times these relationships we inherit, right? They existed in our uh, for our organization prior to our arriving. And oftentimes these relationships are gonna exist long after we're gone. And so we need to be thinking long-term, and this is a donor-centric exercise. And it's about the donor, their life, where they're going, their interests, their passions, the kind of mark they want to make on the world. Now, getting that clear and framing what we're going to do today in light of this, you know, crisis or perhaps opportunity, you know, I think that shapes it differently because you're so right. What things are going to look like come Thanksgiving and the end of the year could be very, very different. But it's not just in the next six months. It's in the next, you know, 25 years of this relationship that our organization will have with this donor. And hopefully this donor will have with it. So let's let's step back and think long term and what these relationships mean long term. And then let's come back to the here and now and think, OK, well, what does that mean with how we communicate during this, you know, very unique time. 
Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. So, you know, one of the things that you said very early on was that uh, um, asking how are they? And honestly, I don't think I've seen that very much so far. Um, I have seen an awful lot of communication, but I don't really think I've heard from organizations that I've supported financially or, or others that I'm kind of paying attention to that question of, you know, how are you and, and how is our, you know, commitment to our mission you know, changing or impacting or whatever based on that. And I think that's a really interesting conversation and moment to spark because some of the folks that I'm talking about are going to survive uh, a period of shutdown. Um, and when they come back, uh, you know, what what do they want that relationship with not only their donors, but other other folks in the community to be like? And how do we back that conversation up to today and go, what are we asking and talking about today that supports that future relationship, even if it means there's not so much cash on the table? Well, and, you know, I think if you don't want to make a mistake during this time, start with this idea that you want to respect your constituents. What can you do that's most respectful, right? It's like any relation, any relationship of love, of gratitude, of appreciation. You're thinking about the other person first, and you respect them. Now let's translate that then into activities, strategies, and so on. But let's start with that as a principle. Whatever we do, however we engage, we want to be perceived as because we are respectful. If we do that, how this thing shakes out is going to shake favorably towards us. But if it's a money grab, if we're, if it's, uh, you know, emergency, 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 as we scream through our communications, these kinds of things in the long run, having the long view is really harmed. Yeah. So let me ask you about yet one more exterior impact of an extremely volatile um, stock market and, uh, you know, people's own ability to give maybe at least perception wise, uh, you know, impacted by this, somebody who may have been very comfortable doing a larger donation with a very healthy portfolio may have looked at things going, oh my gosh, maybe I've got to be more careful myself for a little while until I know what this is going to look like. Um, mm -hmm. So I do think that um, in addition to the needs in the community changing, the ability of the donor to step forward may also be impacted here. And I don't know if you have thoughts or if you've had any coaching yet with anybody around, uh, you know, what the, the extreme volatility, because I mean, as of the time we're recording this yesterday, the market was remarkably back up, but of course that's happened like six times in the last, a, you know, three weeks or whatever. It's a yo-yo. Yeah. It's a yo-yo. You know, I would, I have a story that might be a great illustration that we can reflect on together. And, uh, Prior, you know, prior to this uh, time of serving as an author, coach, consultant, and speaker full-time, I retired from 10 years as vice chancellor for the University of Missouri-St. Louis. And um, uh, I began there 10 years before in uh, August, the beginning of August 2008. <clears throat> well, in September of 2008, you might say the economic sky fell and the great uh, recession landed with this thud. Right. We've had some precedent there. Good. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I had just arrived at this university. I was being uh, handed a, 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 a campaign, first of its kind. It was a, it's a young university, younger then. Uh, and I was challenged to uh, three years in to take it public and finish it. 
and here, you know, I was so excited to go raise money and suddenly this thing landed on us. And uh, economically, not dissimilar to where we're sitting today, and in some respects anyway. And uh, I, I, to my left, there were folks who had campaigns that they were suspending. To my right were folks that had been planning and campaigns and decided not to begin their implementation. And I was sitting there thinking, well, what am I going to do? And um, I don't know if you know the name Robert Sharp, but he's a, a wonderful um, uh, plan-giving consultant in the southeastern United States. I read a quote from him in, in a miscellaneous article that said uh, he made the observation that during the Great Depression, uh, uh, for some organizations, they raised more than they did prior during the, the Roaring Twenties. Oh, interesting. Well, that really struck me. And in a way, it gave me the freedom, the liberation to go to my chancellor and say, we're, we're moving ahead. And what we did, it was, a, you know, July 1 to uh, June, 1, July 1 to June 30 uh, fiscal year in that year. Uh, and we worked, we worked very hard. We ended up raising 54% more than the prior year uh, that my predecessor, predecessor was responsible for which was the best year in the history of the organization up to that point, 54% more. So, so a little counterintuitive, but uh, possibly. Totally, totally. So, so how, did we, what, how did we go about our business? Well, we focused on major gifts, and we went and had conversations. I used the word respect earlier, res as respectful and sensitive as we could to say we understand um, you know, these are very challenging times for you as they are for our university. And yet we're involved in this uh, unique opportunity to help students, to help the world, to help St. Louis through our mission. Would you join with us? And if they said, well, we want to be helpful, then we shifted the conversation to how they could be helpful. And for some then, you know, there were financial constraints. So we had, you know, some gifts rather than being paid out in cash or over a short period of time, there were pledges for longer periods of time. Uh, for some people where they would have, you know, made a large gift over a couple of years and that would be that, they would have a piece of it come out of their estate and so on. So we tried to work with those who wanted to be supportive, mindful of the fact that they had constraints that didn't exist you know, six months, nine months, a year prior. And as a result, because we went to a community of people that respected the mission, were interested in the mission, perhaps had benefited from the mission, they wanted to do what they could. Could they do everything they would have done a year prior? Perhaps not. But were they generous to the best of their ability? Yes. So in times of crisis, and we're seeing this with the great uh, uh, generosity of people all around us being demonstrated, not just with dollars and cents, but with their time and energy and creativity, these become opportunities for people to express who they are and what matters most. And being generous, being philanthropic, looking beyond themselves to try and make a difference rises to the fore. And, uh, you know, we may be the organization through which they can express that. That makes a lot of sense. It's just um, important to think about that context that even in those moments, there are going to be some who are able. And now the question is, 
when is the time? Uh, some of it, I think, is that question. Some of it may be other things. But before all of this came down, we were talking a lot more about um, some donors thinking about like bundling donations because of the changes in tax deductibility of uh, income, or rather, I guess, the ability of people to do um, itemization because of the, those tax law changes. So that that thought may still be out there with people that, okay, you know, maybe you don't want to do... Uh, you know, loads this year, maybe it's a pledge next year. Um, um, and we can be building that conversation of, we don't have to necessarily um, come at you when there's this thing, but you can think about when things are better, we'd love to be considered to be part of, you know, your giving portfolio, your plan. Um, and if you do some bundling in the future, it's going to have these other tax impacts, especially as we look at these other things that are going on. It's it's interesting to be that coach to the donor too, to help them think creatively, because it's not that they don't necessarily want to give, they may be trepidatious about market fluctuations or swings or whatever, and giving them tools to think about provides them that opportunity with a way to give that feels safer and listened to. Well, I think that's so true. I, I think the goal for a fundraiser, yes, certainly it's to raise money, but fundamentally, I think it is to develop people. So what we're after is developing donors to become greater people, people of greater impact with their lives, their talents, and their resources. And when we take that focus, I think it shifts. What I found during my work of building relationships with some marvelous, marvelous people, every one of them actually, I learned so much from, is that for many, I became one of those trusted advisors. And they would talk to me not just about their philanthropy to our organizations, but they would talk about uh, their philanthropy much more broadly. Now, to be in that kind of position, to have that kind of provide that kind of service to a donor is immensely gratifying. And not only that translates to the benefit of organizations beyond ourselves, because most donors, Steve, as you well know, they don't they don't give to one or two. If you're philanthropic, you give to more. You know, it, it, it's eight, 10, perhaps 12 organizations. And of those dozen organizations, three or four, you know, are are top top of the list. And so to be in a position to not just help them help frame their current and future support to your organization, but to be in a position to advise them more broadly about that. What a wonderful position to be in for us as facilitators of philanthropy. Right. And it may, again, require some longer term thinking from the organization as well as the donor. So if it is that uh, uh, somebody is thinking about a multi-year pledge in the future or they want to pledge some things that might be coming later, then it becomes a cash flow management question for the organization to say, how do we think about our future assets supporting our current work and not overextend and all that, which is more of a management question. But mm -hmm. it is good to not feel the pressure as a development person to say, no, I just got to bring in some money today as opposed to, I need to be ready to sustain this mission over time, some of that money coming later, and we may need to be really planning, including you know, using some of these SBA tools in lending if necessary, to know we have resources coming, but they may not be coming this quarter or next quarter. It may be a little bit later because of how we're building this relationship. And therefore, let's think about how we manage cash flow in, in such a way that views the value of a future contribution as much as one that comes in today. Right. Hey, well said. So um, we're starting to run a little low on time. I do want to ask you a little bit more about 
um, you know, we, um, you know, Minnesota, you've been here. Um, we, we have this favorite phrase uh, around here that if, you know, if you don't like the weather, wait a moment, um, mm-hmm. that if, if you're feeling uncomfortable about all the change that's happening right now, well, wait a moment, cause there's going to be more change. I expect we're going to see like, you can't just go, oh, right. We're doing this giving Tuesday thing in May all of a sudden, but then we'll be back to normal. I don't think so. So as you think about your experience as a coach of working through this, um, I think full year development plans have always been a little tenuous at best. You know, it, it's just hard to look that far out with with some things. But especially now, I think we're going to be looking at um, additional change for some period of time here. And how do we help charities kind of think through changing their own thought processes around um, that that level of continuing change, not just what's happened already? Well, you know, I think one thing a fundraiser and executive director hopefully are doing is they're having conversations with peers. Uh, You know, I think you want to better appreciate the context by understanding what others, how others perceive it. And I think to go to executive directors, fellow fundraisers, and to have conversations about how they view this time, how they're thinking about this time, how they're engaging with others, helps them to move forward. Does that help? Yeah, I think that's a really good idea to um, consider that as something that that uh, there's always, I think, been a little feeling of uh, um, protectiveness or competitiveness in development work, uh, where it's like, I don't want to talk too much to you about my strategies or ideas because there's, you know, this scarcity mentality. And, you know, if we're applying for the same grant, we're somehow, you know, competitors and we shouldn't think. But to turn that around and say, no, actually, uh, the the scarcity mentality isn't helping any of us. And we really do have to share amongst ourselves, how is this impacting us? What are we thinking about? How are we being ready to change again and learn from people? Uh, I do think that that's a, a really helpful piece of advice. Uh, do you have other things that you want to share with people kind of thinking about the future six months, a year out? Well, you know, what's great about a great, maybe it's the wrong word. It's interesting that when you have these these hard stops in life and certainly in our professions, it absolutely requires us in one way to start over. So it, this creates a moment for thoughtful planning and discussion internally with your executive teams. You know, where are we? What are the implications for tomorrow? Should we be redefining ourselves? Is our mission going to be relevant three months, six months, a year from now? What does that mean for us? Um, you know, if you if you rely on face-to-face services that you provide for clientele, well, you're not having those right now. What does that mean about tomorrow? What are we doing about literally tomorrow? And what are we doing about what's its implication for six months or years from now? Suppose this continues. You know, if in in the late fall things aren't much better. You know, what does that mean for us? So I think you know candid thoughtful discussions and planning as well as i said seeking the advice and counsel and experience of others uh, pull in everything you can in terms of your your thinking work your planning work in order to be uh, effective and then be adaptable and flexible because you know most plans uh, you know get blown up in some in times like this or have to be adjusted anyway. Right. But it's a good moment, I think, to reassess uh, your mission, your methods, the meaning you're bringing to donors. 
Right. And methods in particular, because I think for folks that were using events, uh, either for things like sponsorship revenue, which is you know not necessarily going to be happening for some foreseeable future, or other strategies, you know, silent auctions, whatever it might be, um, thinking about how this moment in time changes those tactics and, mm-hmm. and has a different impact on people, um, I, I think is great. I, I'll... I did a podcast a while back with an organization in Minnesota here that uh, Tech Dump that did a uh, um, a wholly virtual event in the fall before all of this came up uh, that they entitled "Thanks for Not Coming." Um, they uh, they wanted to do a gala without having to do a gala, so they did mm. a, a, a virtual thing. So we're seeing more of that responsiveness of saying, you know, gathering has been an important tool of building community around a mission for a long time. And whether that gathering is, you know, kind of a, a Benavon breakfast kind of thing, or if it's the big gala or, you know, whatever the, the, the specifics may be, people still want to gather. Um, and I think finding a way to be sensitive to the time and think about that. And, you know, some folks are just push the event off and just do it, you know, six months from now and not really do anything differently, just have it happen later. Well, okay, that's possibly a very reasonable response. But it could be that this is also an opportunity to rethink, does that event uh, still serve that same purpose? Is there another way to engage? You know, those things could be rethought right now, as you were suggesting. And I I think that's a good advice to take that breather and, and look at how those things have been serving the organization and maybe they change permanently as a result of this. That's right. You're right. So um, we we are about out of time. So I want to just uh, ask, uh, um, I think you mentioned at the top, but if you could just share with people where they can learn more about you, see more of those videos that you mentioned online. Yeah, martinleifel.com uh, is a website to serve our um, folks in our world of nonprofit leadership and, and fundraising. Uh, five minutes for fundraising and buy the book at Amazon. Download it um, uh, at Amazon. If you want to get an autographed one for 15% less, uh, go to the website and purchase it there. No, no shipping or handling for the, for those, um, books either. So, uh, the, the book is something I think is, a as I said, it's been a labor of love and I've had 26 others participate in, and I think it's an excellent and helpful book and the website we've got videos upon videos and you know right now uh, timing's everything but uh, i have a uh i have videos now that are topping three minute videos that you can also see at youtube that are topping you know three thousand four thousand views so um i think people are are turning to education this is an educational moment to you know to to learn and you know that's that's why i've been doing this work to help people learn and grow and develop as people and as leaders and fundraisers outstanding uh martin leifeld author coach speaker thank you so much for your time today i really appreciate it my honor steve thank you